You are listening to Moisture Festival Podcast. Hey folks, welcome to the Moisture Festival Podcast. If you don't know what the Moisture Festival is... What's going on? What have you been doing? How have you not heard of the Moisture Festival? How, how are you unaware that it's a four-week festival that happens in Seattle's Fremont neighborhood every March and April? It is the largest festival of its kind in the world and features some of the best entertainers and comedians working in the industry today. I'm Louis Fox, and I'm your co-host, and across from me is Mr. Matthew Baker. Yes, and we are both performers, variety performers, and Moisture Festival performers and we are very proud of that. Yes, yes. It actually, <laughs> I put it on my resume. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And if you're listening to this during the festival, which happens in the months of March and April, be sure to buy tickets because they sell out, folks. Almost 97.3% of shows sell out, and you can get them by visiting the website moisturefestival.org. We are excited to have Stevie Coyle on the show today. Yeah, Stevie Coyle is a fantastic musician from here in the Bay Area where we are recording currently and he joins us and talks about his whole career of growing up in a religious family, how he threw his dreams of being a priest to the wind <laughs> to, join a, to join a circus and we talk about his whole career and the sort of crazy eclectic things that he has done. One of the best interviews I think that we have done. It was fantastic to have him in here. You're going to love it. Let's do it. We're excited to have today's guest. He is a world-class musician, was in the band The Waybacks, and has an amazing solo album called 10 in 1. He was in the Royal Lichtenstein Circus and also has appeared on Cheers and a reoccurring role on The Young and the Restless. Let's welcome Stevie Coyle. Oh my yeah. God, I'm, I'm apparently one hell of a guy. Was, it, was that all true? I, that I, was all true. Okay. That was all true at different times, not all at the same time. I feel like we should tackle the young and the restless pretty early on for our, <laughs> our listeners who have to go to bed early. So we can dispense with that instantly. That was, uh, I was cast as uh, Chris Wilson, who actually, I recorded a bunch of shows, but only one made it to the air because what happened immediately after that episode aired, uh, Ollie North took over the airwaves for the entire afternoon. You got bumped by Iran-Contra. I got bumped by Iran-Contra. I had a bumper sticker that That's said the only that reason once. he didn't like it. That's it. And, and it was a good role, too. I played the good guy to, yeah, let's see, how was it? I was the good boyfriend of the good girl. Ah. But she was with the bad boy at the time, and the bad boy and she decided that they weren't suited for each other, so he was going to try and make me jealous. And I got to punch him out. Paul. Oh, was man. It was great. Until I punched him out, and we didn't have really a stuntman you know, to help us do this on the set. We just kind of worked out the angles. And so I did my punch, and his, he fell back into the booth in the restaurant where this happened. And his feet came up and caught me right in the groin. <laughs> oh, it was just... And they kept that take. Oh, really? Yeah, they did. You're right. like, that wasn't part of the script. That, that was, was not part of the script. You took this improv thing a little his, bit too far. His feet so, were improving. 
<laughs> I've always wondered the workload on a soap opera. Yeah. Because they put out so many. It's, it's a lot of lines every night. You know? Yeah. And you've got to have them cold by the next day. So you, as soon as you finish up shooting in the afternoon, you're home working on next day's lines. That's amazing. Yeah. And how did they select you? Do you have an acting agency? Or? I did, yeah. I was with an agency. I had been doing um, stand-up comedy during the, the great comedy boom of the mid-'80s and uh, kind of got known as one of the Reagan brothers. Mm. My partner, Roy Zimmerman, who is a wildly hilarious guy that you really need to have at the Moisture Festival sometime. All right. Great, great fellow. He had a, his wife at the time was the casting director for the other soap opera, Not Young and the Restless, Bold and the Beautiful. But I was working at the time for uh, CAA or one of the big one of the big agencies at the time, you know. And they're like, "We need a tall guy who has a good right hook." That's right. That's right. <laughs> we need a tall, skinny, innocent-looking guy <laughs> who's got a good right hook <laughs> <laughs> and balls of steel. Yes. <laughs> it's like a kick to the might be a cut right there. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. So, and then what about Cheers? How is that same sort of through that agency? Or? No, no. That was uh, that was another backdoor thing. Come to think of it, uh, I did get work not through people I knew occasionally, <laughs> but that was a fellow I went to college with, uh, Andy Ackerman. Uh, he was Bobby Ackerman when I knew him in college. He was the most unhappy freshman I had ever seen. <laughs> he was bereft because his girlfriend wasn't going to the same college. Oh, and wow. so the whole floor kind of got together and tried to make him feel better. And there was uh-huh. just nothing we could do. He was inconsolable. But he finally, I don't know what happened. She called him and they got back together on the phone. They had broken up. One of those things you got to break up because you're going to different colleges yeah. and stuff. So they got back together. Anyway, he turned into Andy Ackerman, who was, uh, at the time, when I was working in Los Angeles, he was the editor for Cheers. But then he became the director for Friends. Oh, oh cool. And something else. He was like, he became a, like a major dude. Nice. You know? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I knew that through through then. Is he still together with the the, he the girl? Oh yeah, really? Oh yeah! Wow, <laughs> happy That's ending. Amazing. Occasionally yeah. it happens. We can end, the, end of this interview right <laughs> now. I said, we're done. Whatever <laughs> happened to Andy Ackerman? And good night. <laughs> yeah, great fella too. Really great. Wow. Guy. And so, what did you play when you were on Cheers? I played a tiny role. Uh, it was Doctor Buzz, and I have to say, it was one of the funnier episodes, if I do say so myself. <laughs> it was called "Eye on Sports." I, as in me, on sports. It was an episode in which uh, Sam's good friend that he had played sports with had a regular news feature. It was always some hard-hitting commentary. You know, he'd deliver the sports, and then he'd have some hard-hitting commentary. He was going on vacation with some delicious babe somewhere, so Sam was going to take over for the week. And so Sam had to come up with hard-hitting commentary every night. And I, I ended up playing the, uh, the the weatherman on the news team, Doctor Buzz. And it was and every night Sam would come up with something ridiculous. One night would, he had a, a puppet that looked like him to do the news with him. Another time he wrapped the news. He did a, a this just ridiculous <laughs> rap about, about groin injuries. <laughs> it, was, it was a very hilarious episode. I must say. I did you punch him out? Was there? Was <laughs> that? Oh man! So where's my punch, man? <laughs> How great would that be if you where's just got hired across all these shows <laughs> as the one dude? He's got he's so good. He missed a big opportunity. <laughs> you you're a musician by trade, and uh, Tim first told us that we needed to contact you because your grandma was a vaudevillian. Is she that was. correct? She was indeed. Yep. She was uh, a real natural pianist. I don't think she, she could kind of read music, but she was a real nat- had a real natural ear, and so she became a pianist for silent movies. And the silent movie operators loved her because she never played the same thing twice, and people would come back. Oh, that's cool. To see the same show they just saw, just to hear what 
Bertha was going to do tonight. Oh, wow. They'd, they'd send along the music. They'd say, play this during this scene and that during that scene. She said, yeah, thanks very much. She kind of took a glance at it and said, all right. And she'd throw in all kinds of little cultural references and, and this and that. And it was very entertaining. So she got started doing uh, silent movies. And then uh, when Vaudeville came around, she became a house pianist for a couple of different places in Massachusetts as the Vaudeville tours came through there. Oh, wow. And she's full of all kinds of wise old sayings. You know, she, she ended up, she lived to be, she died at 98 of mysterious causes, you know. Wow. And she smoked and drank and ate greasy chicken gizzards every night. And there were still her. mysterious causes? <laughs> yeah, clearly, clearly. I think you just named three. <laughs> uh, you're right. I need a pad and pencil here. I'm missing, I'm missing opportunities left and right here. Put things together. So she did. She uh, she was, uh, and she had wise old sayings like, uh, if, you, if you can't fix it, feature it, you know, just mm. great old stuff yeah. like that. Um, the one I always use when I'm t I teach guitar as well. And one of the ones I use all the time is, when you're doing the thing, and she really did kind of talk like this. She had a cigarette and the whole thing. She said, uh, when you're doing the thing, you got to get ready to do the other thing. Because if people are getting ahead of you, you can't let the audience get ahead of you. You got to do the other thing when you're doing the thing. That's the same in music. You're you know? like, I'm seven. I'm just, I guess. Okay. Okay. I'm not sure how, how to do the thing. Am I doing it right now, Graham? And so is that, is that where your love of music, I, you know, I, I've listened to uh, you do a separate podcast where you were interviewed. And so I found out that your dad was, was a radio DJ. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Not a DJ. He was, he was a, a manager. He first was a salesman on a radio station. Then he became a general manager of a, of a station. And it was a Spanish language. You guys know everything. This is great. <laughs> oh my God. People don't believe me, but you guys are here. <laughs> Yes, he uh, Spanish. He was the, the first guy to take a, a radio station full Spanish. Oh wow! Sixties, the radio station he was working for was really kind of swirling the drain because they had no format. They'd do fifteen minutes of Bible thumping preacher followed by fifteen minutes of Lithuanian folk tunes. You know, and so he, he went into the uh, the general manager as they were swirling the drain. He was holding the Rodriguez section of the Los Angeles white pages and about this thick. Right. He said, uh, "Why is nobody marketing to these people?" Yeah. I said, go for it, Jimmy. If you can save our butts, go for it. And he did, and it became very successful. I bet. Because he suddenly there was a, a market there mm. and that he could sell radio spots to. And then he got snapped up by the big radio station in Los Angeles, which went full Spanish as well. But all of that, what it meant for me and my brother, uh, who's just a couple of years older than, than I am, it meant that he brought home records from the radio station every day that no longer fit the format. All of those white-jacketed promo albums that no longer fit the format. He brought them home, and it was just Christmas every day. I bet. Sometimes we, we didn't look out so big, and sometimes <laughs> we did. And I think it was, I always remember this one day, I, I think it was, where he brought home The Ventures Freak Out. Nice. Yeah. It was fantastic. We loved The Ventures, that sound, that yeah. electric guitar sound. And Alvin and the Chipmunks play the Beatles hits. <laughs> And we the didn't greatest hits, the Beatles. mariachi hits of <laughs> <That was> a, <laughs> 1964. This, this was, and you know, they, the, the guitar arrangements were just like the Beatles, you know, with the, with the you know, Alvin and the Chipmunks vocals, yeah. of course. Yeah. And, but it was that sound that we fell in love with first was electric guitar. Oh. That was the sound we really, really fell in love with. And did he get you a guitar? Or was, did he play also? He didn't. My dad had a great uh, singing voice. He was, he was very good musically singing. My mom was uh, a mandolinist of some repute. Uh, when she was coming up uh, in the th early 30s, the Gibson Company would drive around the country with truckloads of mandolins, all different sizes, big ones, little ones, mandolas. Octa octave mandolins, you know, band, uh, the, the, the big bass mandolins. And they would sell a high school, a whole orchestra of instruments. 
And she got involved in that and became a really fine mandolinist. So when we kind of got interested in guitar, she got us first. <laughs> this little plastic ukulele. <laughs> a little, you know, Arthur Godfrey kind of uh, yeah. plastic ukulele that had, it, you didn't even have to finger the chords. It had a little box that would strap onto the neck. you push the buttons and it would finger the chords. Oh, for yeah, you. yeah. And then we got a little guitar that did the same thing. M&E, they were M&E guitars, actually. Inspired by Macaferry, the guy that actually made all the cool Selmer and Gypsy Jazz guitars. And uh, they were th- and he decided styrene was the future <laughs> of instruments. And he started making those, and they were wildly popular. So that's what got us interested in it. And then our interest got bumped up even more because the kids next door to us in Arcadia, California, Jewel of the Smog Belt, <laughs> as we called it, they, uh, they were in a band at Disneyland, which is about 30 miles away. And they were really good. They're about 10 years older than we were at the time. I was 10, I guess. And these kids were really good. And they rehearsed right next door. Now, this was early 60s in the San Gabriel Valley. The smog and the heat were just unbelievable. Just flabbergasted. Yeah. And uh, we had no air conditioning. My folks were depression babies. Mm-hmm. So extravagances like being comfortable. And they were Catholic. Uh-huh. So <laughs> extravagances <laughs> like being comfortable. Yeah. Right off the list. Get your ass burned in hell for that. So they, um, they, they didn't have, so the windows were open all night. And so we, in the combination of delirium for not getting any sleep and hearing really fine bluegrass and string band music coming in from next door, our fates, fates were sealed. I was telling the story earlier today for some reason. Um, it's not like I tell it every day, twice a day. <laughs> but here it is, boys. <laughs> I was warming it up for you guys. Oh, He's practicing. I had, to, I had to rehearse it. Here's the money story right here. The, uh, what was I talking about? Oh, the, uh, my mother came home on St. Patrick's Day in 1966 with two cheapo steel string guitars, just awful, really awful guitars. One of them, I think, was had wood on the top. The other one had masonite on uh, the top. Yeah. You could reach inside and feel the fuzzy side on the inside there, and they were terrible, and we loved them. Because they sounded more like the electric guitars we heard mm-hmm. on the Ventures records and the Alvin and the Chipmunks played the Beatles hits. So <laughs> How do I get that Chipmunk sound? Oh, yeah. This? Oh, yeah. And, but the, the guitar sounds were just like that, just like, just like the Beatles. You know? And I remember it was Please Please Me. The sound of that just drove me wild. I played that over and over and over with the Beatles. I, I heard right past Alvin and the Chipmunks. So she came over with those one day, and the action, the, the, the distance between the strings and the fretboard was so huge. We could barely make any chords. <laughs> we took him next door and said, and one of the guys over next door was Davey. And Davey was really cool. Davey could do voices and pulled faces, and he was a very hilarious guy. He was always nice to us. I said, Davey, we can make our C chord and make our G7 chord. We can't get that F chord. He said, oh, look at that action. It's, it's an inch. You know, you got an inch between the strings and the fretboard there. You better learn to make your F chord like this. And he gave us a few guitar lessons, and he and that Davy is David Lindley, who's just like a major, major musician dude, you know, and a huge hero of mine. Uh, arguably best known for his uh, sideman work with Jackson Brown. Oh, cool! But a fabulous musician in his own right. And that's wow. who, that was your neighbor. That was my neighbor. That's he was one of the neighbor kids. He, he was he was the friend of the neighbor kids. Oh, gotcha. Uh, but he was in the band. Have you ran into him later in life and been like, "Hey, man, my F, I still can't get my F 7 <laughs> <laughs> Funny you should mention uh, the band I was with, the Waybacks. <coughs> the Waybacks uh, uh, were playing in Canada somewhere, Edmonton, the Edmonton Folk Festival, and he was too. And our set finished up before his set did. And so I got in line. I was towards the front of the line to, when he was signing CDs after the show. And I handed him my CD, and he looked up at me and kind of squinted and pointed and said, hmm, 
I said, uh, 281 West Duarte Road, Arcadia. He goes, oh, my God, when dinosaurs roamed the earth. <laughs> You're one of those two little kids from next door? I said, yeah. He said, I saw your set. You guys were great. Really, you know, so we got to be kind of pals oh, that's after that. that's great. I saw yeah. lots of times after that as well. He's like, you still need some work on the, uh, <laughs> that you need to lower that, that bridge there. You need, to get, you need to get something that's not Masonite. <laughs> the, 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 the aptly named F chord is... <laughs> <laughs> screwed up more people that otherwise would be playing guitar than anything else. And so how did you end up being growing up a musician, finger picking into a circus? You don't hear that transition often. Well, you know, uh, the, the, the extent of my musical endeavor is through middle of high school anyway. It was pretty much guitar mass, you know, folk masses. Uh, God forgive me. That's going to add time on my purgatory. <laughs> Jeez, they were just awful music and loud. Oh, it was awful. But uh, in the middle of high school, I got interested in kind of fingerstyle music. All the way through college, kind of honed my chops and got better and better at it. And there was this little show that came to Santa Clara University where I was studying to become a priest, actually. Oh, wow. Huh. Oh, my. Saved by Sex. That's <laughs> going to be the name of my book. It's, uh, I've You're trying it. to make your parents proud, right? I, I was. Yeah. I was. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Sure thing. Sure thing. And uh, it, uh, it did not go the way any, any of us planned. But uh, while I was studying there at the University of Santa Clara, there was this little show that came every year and played in the Mission Gardens. Beautiful, beautiful, uh, you know, it's one of the, the California missions. And the gardens there were just lovely. People would cut classes. The, the, the teachers would cut classes to see the circus. So there were hundreds of people gathered around this little tiny ring, one quarter the size of a regular circus ring, mm -hmm. to see this show, which was led by, ringmastered by, a Jesuit priest, you'd never guess. Long hair, bald beard. Wait, loud, long hair and recent. bald? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> long in the back. Okay. I'll draw you a picture. Okay. He was a podcast. He was, he was a super tall, but, but really short. <laughs> That's the guy. Yeah. One red eye, one red eye. Spinning bow tie. Yeah. <laughs> That's the guy. Nick Weber is his name. Mm. Fabulous entertainer. Really great. I learned everything from him. He was, and Tim, Tim will attest to this. Uh, Tim First, would, you know, he and Nick were pals long ago because they worked the, a lot of the same circuits. Ah. And so I, I kind of fell in love with the circus then. I, as soon as I graduated from college, uh, I had a string of pretty awful jobs, building Ford Pintos in a factory. That was no fun. And one day, uh, see, I guess I moved on from that. I quit that job, actually, because... I found out that the cars I was building were blowing up. Mm. Oh, yeah, they were catching out. So fire in the back, yeah. So you, you, you left for ethical reasons. <laughs> I did. He's like, I'm not good at this. All the cars I build <laughs> blow up. <laughs> Clearly. It's on me. Yeah. I told you I was Catholic. <laughs> it was my fault somehow. So, I, I, yeah, I did. I went on my lunch break one day from doing this mind-numbing work, of course. And I saw the news that Pintos were blowing up on rear-end collisions. They were just blowing up. So I talked to the foreman. I said, what, what's the deal here? He said, after a long conversation, he finally said, listen, listen. All I can tell you is we're building these cars because Chevy is getting ahead of us with the Vega. We, we can't stop. I said, you can't stop. I can stop. So I stopped. Oh, so the yeah. next job was building tennis courts. And I was kind of too spindly to wrestle around these 55-gallon drums of tennis court paint yeah. and huge bags of sand and whatnot. That didn't last too long. And then I was working for an alarm company with two sisters, red-haired sisters that would remind you 
of nobody so much as Marge Simpson's sisters. Oh, wow. <laughs> with the cigarettes and the yeah. smoking and the, the whole thing, you know. And it was this alarm company, Wells Fargo Alarm Company. And I got a call one day there at the alarm company, and they said, it's for you. I said, who knows I'm here? Somehow, Nick Weber got a hold of my number, <clears throat> knew where I was. I think probably with my girlfriend at the time. Said, call him, call him, call him. And he said, can you leave tomorrow? One of the clowns in the show has gotten sick, and we need somebody right away. And I talked to my bosses there, and they said, well, can you give us a week? My contract was for two weeks. I had to give him two weeks. And I said, we can give you one week. They were really nice about it. Birdie and, oh, my God, I haven't thought of it's a synapse that hasn't fired in <laughs> 50 years. Good heavens. And you were there, boys. Have you had, Did you have clown experience before that? Like, how did he just... No, lots of theater. Oh, okay. okay. Theater okay yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, my deg- uh, degrees are in theater and theology. Okay. I, I never did pursue the, the uh, priesthood thing. Ah. Nah. There's still hope. But I did pursue the theater thing. And uh, so a lot, a lot of performing experience there. And so he said, you know, I, I had interviewed him before. Was hoping to go out the whole next year, but he called me up just a couple of months later and said, "One of the guys has gotten sick. Can you can you jump on the show?" So he came. The tour came back down from Oregon somewhere, and we rehearsed in my backyard in San Jose for a week. <laughs> and I was back up there doing shows a week later. Wow, wow. he's great. And so, what, what, what you were just the clown in the show? Did they go like, "Here's your clown bit," or did you have to figure it out? No, it was. Uh, they were. They sort of said, "What can you do?" And then they said, "Here's here's what you got to do." Okay. You're yeah. like, I can make alarm clocks. That's I can <laughs> make a car explode. <laughs> this, is, this is an amazing <laughs> act. Yeah. But, but that's, you know, that, that ended the show. That was the show ended. I would love something. it if the clown that left had blown up in a four pin tail. Like, what's his name? Yeah, the, the drummer in, in Spinal Tap. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, shucks. It, uh, it was a great little show. It was a really wonderful show. And very talky, very political, very left-leaning and satirical. And uh, and it was really geared for college kids. Uh-huh. You know? I mean, we recently graduated myself. It was of enormous appeal to me. Yeah. Did you learn any skills while you were oh, there? Oh, yeah. yeah. I had I'd done a bit of juggling. But over the next three years, I learned uh, wire walking and sword swallowing. So can you still swallow a sword? Juggling. No, you know, in fact, I never did take that out. I, while I was rehearsing, that was the second year. While I was on the first year, we met up with a sword swallower uh, on the Hoxie show in Florida somewhere. And she said, oh, you're going to learn sword swallowing. Huh? He said, if you ever feel the side of your face go numb, even for an instant, you're done. Huh? I said, what? And apparently there's a nerve bundle right at the base of your, ga- your gastric sphincter, right at the base mm-hmm. of your throat there that if you irritate that nerve, you can develop Bell's palsy and the whole side of your face will droop the rest of your life. Ooh. So, word to the wise. Yeah, well, he's thinking about learning. So <laughs> oh. I'm like, I don't know, dude. It's, it's kind of iffy. In the circles I run in, yeah. I'm like the only person that can't do it. Oh, well, <laughs> that's, that's a distinction. It might be easier it? to get new friends. There's only some way friends. I could figure this out. Yeah, it was, it was hard work. And, and kind of grotesque, and uh, but it was, of course, like any any good act. It wasn't the scale itself. It was all the surrounding stuff. Mm-hmm. You know that showed up best in the, in an act that went south. I had worked all summer. After this first half year, I worked all summer in Santa Barbara, California, where the show was quartered. Instead of being down on the beach with the bikini babes, I was up in the sweaty garage working on a trained house cat act. Yeah. And it was beautiful. By the time I got done with it, it was beautiful. And got it out on the road, and almost instantly, one of the cats stopped having a good time. I just couldn't put him through it, so I left him with a family in 
Idaho somewhere. And then the other male in the show started acting really aggressive. I thought, what the hell is going on here? I had this, this cat fixed, you know? Took him into a veterinarian, and uh, he took him in back, and he came out, and he was weeping. He was laughing so hard. I said, what's so funny? He said, uh, this, one, this cat, you, you had this cat fixed, right? I said, yeah. He said, well, he was packing one on you. <laughs> I said, what does that mean? Can I say undescended third testicle on a podcast? Because <laughs> that's what the doctor told me. He's got an undescended third testicle. And wow. he's, he's never going to be tractable. You're going to have to just, I'll, I'll take it out and he'll be okay. But you have to leave him with some family somewhere. I was left with one cat. <laughs> I was left with one house cat who was very sweet, a little, a little female. And she was adorable. She was great. And she did almost nothing. She was just really cute. The other two had the skills. She had the personality. Ah. <laughs> you still went on with the act? The act got better than I could <laughs> ever have guessed, than I could ever have hoped. It turned into 10 minutes of me trying to get this cat to do anything. And people would have loved it. It was much better. So that's better. hilarious. What kind of tricks did the other cats do? Uh, one of them did a bottle walk. You know, oh, yeah? yeah. Balance across bottles. Uh, they had this beautiful timed uh, liberty act where they would do kind of a dance, a ballet together. It was wonderful. There was jumping from... Uh, platform to platform and that's that was kind of the only trick that remained was finally at the end of me trying to get this kitty to do anything and her just being desperately cute the whole time <laughs> leaning one pedestal across to the other and her walking through a, a hoop of fire people losing it oh it was great it was great <laughs> so you know yeah if you can't fix it feature it yeah there you <laughs> there go right there the wikipedia page says it's the world's smallest circus and that it, it is a jesuit circus that the ringmaster thought it was a more accessible way to it was, proselytize or, yeah it was you know. it was his ministry yeah. really although it's very lightweight in terms uh, of anything resembling uh, preachiness there was a little storytelling for uh that was loaded with off-color humor <laughs> always <laughs> there was a little story that was told uh the uh the missing piece shell silver i think it's yeah. a shell silverstein story we did a thing freddie the frisbee that was sort of along those lines mm. but very hilarious all the way through another year it was a Japanese folk tale involving two frogs. So there was one little bit in the show. Yeah. It was kind of didactic. A little bit, uh, had a bit of a moral lesson to it. It was kind of a little Aesop's fable kind of thing. But the rest of the show was three, well, at the time, two or three or four rude young men <laughs> having a great time and teasing the daylights out of the audience. Yeah. Just, and that was really great, just to be able to riff with an audience and work on what and of course people would shout at the at us and we'd shout back yeah it was it was very rough and tumble kind of i mean kind of for thing. just getting out of college right like what a better job oh i know it it was just fantastic and i'd never traveled anywhere really. uh, so uh, this was tons of travel two cross-country trips a year uh and it was all backwards we went through the north in the winter and the south in the summer and I was on for the better part of three years, and it was the best training in the world. And were you playing music in the show, too? Yeah, I played, I played mandolin in one show and guitar in another one. And uh, by the third year, we had, instead of having providing any uh, music of our own, we had a little band organ that we picked up in Xenia, Ohio, where those things get made. Uh. And it was a beautiful little band organ, and that, that handled most of the music. Otherwise, the, we had music on cassette tapes uh. and a little speaker out front. You know, with kind of Calliope music and that sort of stuff. And when you got out of that, was that when you um, decided, like, maybe start exploring like stand-up comedy or? 
That, Were you ever like a comedy, you know, music guy? Yeah, or? yeah. In the uh, what, what was the transition out of that? I guess. Good question. Let's see. Um, Roy Zimmerman, this fellow that I had met when I got done with the circus, I met Roy through some college friends who went to high school with him. We ended up being the Reagan brothers, who were who did you know quite a lot of work in uh, San Francisco and Los Angeles. I think at the time we were about the only act that could play both the comedy story and the improv. You usually mm. had to choose one place or the other. Mitzi or Bud. You know? <laughs> can't wait. Can't wait for both of them. But, but they, they let us, because we yeah, were so yeah. different. Yeah. We did uh, comedy and music together. And it was a great middle act. We were kind of too big just because we were a duo to be an opener, and we weren't quite headliner status yeah. yet. So did a lot of great middle work. That's awesome. Yeah, it was great. It was and great. what's some memories from that time for you? Oh, we had a song that... Uh, still invades my dream sometimes. Sometimes it's such an earworm. It's in a good way or a bad way? In a, in a, in a good way, generally speaking. Uh, I can always use Yesu Joy of Man's Desiring to, as mental floss <laughs> if I need it, you know, to get it out of there. But it was a song called Subliminal Message. It was when <clears throat> Tipper Gore was doing that whole parents' advisory yeah, thing where yeah, she wanted yeah. to put stickers on everything. You guys are way too young to know this stuff. Well, we, uh, we have a separate podcast where we have the parental advisory on. So, <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, so okay. we're, 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 well, thank Tipper Gore yeah. for that. Yeah. Well, we're both, we're, he's almost 40. I'm a couple years yeah. over. So that was my middle school years is when they were that's putting right, those on. Yeah, that's right, huh? Of course, of course, right. That's I, how we knew what music to buy. That, that's right, that's right. <laughs> And that's exactly what they were afraid of. Buy, it means steal. 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 Buy. We had a song called Subliminal Message, which was started off, this song has a subliminal message. And the chorus was, uh, worship the devil, take lots of drugs. <laughs> Develop a wholesale disregard for all the fundamental principles of capitalism. Develop a lackadaisical flippancy in the face of imminent nuclear annihilation. And cuss in public. Cuss in public, you know. Bobby Slayton, I saw him in a movie the other night. I thought I was reminded. He, he said, oh, my God, the Reagan brothers cuss in public. Worship <laughs> the devil. I don't know what I'm going to do. I think that drives me nuts. I can't get out of my brain. So that was uh, sort of 87 to 91 or so, I guess, when I was living in Los Angeles. And did you do the comedy club circuit around the United States or just mostly in L.A.? Mostly California. Yeah. And in, in, in L.A. That was kind of, you know, L.A. and San Francisco. We played the Punchline and Cobbs and mm. uh, the other cafe. And then uh, the comedy store and the improv in Los Angeles. Uh, we were, I was living down there at that time. And that's when I did the, the work for Cheers. And Oh, nice. Uh, did uh, you open up for like Pryor ever? Or? No. We, uh, but we got to have dinner with Jonathan Winters, oh, ah. which was just astonishing. Oh, that was man. really great. No, no, prior, we didn't, uh, who, who did we, do you know, who we open for? And this wasn't even, this was a little bit of a tour. I can't remember exactly where it was, but we middled for Ellen DeGeneres. Ah. And I asked her out on a date. I thought she was so charming. <laughs> How'd that go? I, it, it, she was very nice. I had no idea. Catholic boys get delayed sometimes. <laughs> and she was so charming and so delightful. And I thought, well, let's see if she, you know, she said, oh, well, you know what? That's, you know, I've, I've, I've got somebody in my life. And the way she said somebody, I thought, oh, oh. And it's the, God. The bell, the bell went off. Yeah. It's, <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I'll kill him. No, I kind of got the picture at that point. <laughs> and she was great. She was great about it. But uh, Slayton, we opened for Slayton a, a bunch. Nice. And, uh, um, Jim Carrey one night. Oh, cool. In fact, that might have been his first night uh, that we opened for him. Do you know uh, who we got to be fans of us? 
terrible syntax there. Was uh, D. Snyder and mm. Bob, Bobcat Goldthwait. Oh, nice, oh. Yeah. nice. They'd, they'd come into the room whenever we were doing our thing, and they'd sing along and get, then whip the audience up for us. And yeah, oh, that's, that's awesome. Kind of, and that's what, really what, why the Reagan brothers? What was just just Reagan? Reagan. Yeah. Reagan. Just strictly that. <laughs> What's a good rag- name recognition? That's right. That's all we want. <laughs> we're the Ronald Reagans <laughs> and the George Bush <laughs> duo. And we called uh, the uh, the first song we opened with was called "We Want to Be Your President." We know what you're thinking. You guys are unbelievably talented and incredibly good looking. What are you doing in a fucking dump like this? <laughs> well, we'll tell you. We want to be your president. You know, that's ah. kind of the, the punchline of the, of the opener. And then there was a lot of, we did a whole thing where <clears throat> one of us would be doing a comedy routine and the other one would be the subtext. So you'd hear both, both ah. aspects. And that was that was great. And Roy Zimmerman is still out there, still working. Oh, he's brilliant man, uh, doing a lot of political stuff. He's a big old lefty and brilliant, brilliant man. He When's the Reagan bro- or the Reagan brothers reunion? Yeah. Well, I don't know. You know, stranger things have happened. What about mm-hmm. the Trump cousins? <laughs> <laughs> that word sends chills. Cousins? <laughs> yeah, cousins. Cousins, yeah. All right, so you you've had like a crazy career arc. Oh yeah, all kinds of stuff. I mean, years. I saw you were an announcer at Marine World. Yeah, lots of <laughs> whale shows and dolphin shows, and so you would like talk up the show like a barker. I, I would no, no. I would I would kind of announce the show. You know, here comes here comes Yaka. Yaka's seventeen years old. She comes from you know wherever she came from, Yugoslavia. All right, right, and she was a killer whale, Inner Mongolia. Big on big killer whales in Inner Mongolia. One of the few folks right here. You're seeing something very special today, ladies and gentlemen. All right. So can you intro a show? It's a sea lion with one flipper doing a ballet dance with a dolphin with one glass eye. You saw it here first, folks. Stand by. Here it comes. Here it comes. Up and over. Hey, how about that? Only in, only in marine world. I said that. That's right. You came to the right place, folks, to see the uh, glassy and flippy <laughs> together again for the first time. They got, they got separated when the Berlin Wall went up. It's a sad, sad story, folks. But they're back together in the same tank at the same time. We're so glad you're here today, folks. It was a lot of up and over kind of ah. stuff because usually they would jump over things. You know. Did you ever have any incidents with the animals, like hurting humans, like like that? And then you got, and then you got to cover for it. Like, oh my god, that's he. That's just part of the show. He normally bites off at the other oh, arm. I know, I know that the, the Sea World stuff was awful, but they had a whole different training technique. They, they, we had, we didn't use real strict operant conditioning there at the <laughs> at that show. There was no uh, negative reinforcement at all. No, the uh, I'm trying to think if there was any untoward stuff that happened. A buddy of mine got bit on the hand by a chimpanzee, which was no fun at all. At right? Marine World? <laughs> <laughs> Marine World, Africa, USA. Oh, okay. So there's African animals as well. As, oh, as, gotcha. You know, sea lions, dolphins, one-eyed critter, critters of all. And chimpanzees. <laughs> chimpanzees. <laughs> Lefty the chimpanzee. Don't get him on, don't get on his left side. <laughs> he gets very nervous if you walk on his left side. And he uh, he got his hand bit because he was screwing around doing something, and, and the chimp chimps are just impossibly strong. They're just made of muscle, and the the chimp was right. The animal's always right. Mm-hmm. But no, I can't remember anybody getting hurt. I got startled badly once. Dolphins, you know, use uh, echolocation, 
and not just underwater sometimes. And they can, they can see inside you, essentially. Their, their uh, sonar is tied in with their visual cortex, so they're actually seeing inside of you, in a sense. And it's very powerful underwater. You can feel it when they're scanning you. Oh, wow. But one of them, uh, Bayou, his name was. He was a very aggressive male, <clears throat> young male. And he popped up to take those part in the show. Of course, these shows were all themed, and this one was kind of Aladdin or something. And there was a secret message that was going to be taken from one side of the pool to the other. And he'd pop up and grab this pipe out of my hand that had the secret message inside, wrapped up on a scroll inside. And he popped up and kind of stayed up for a second and shot me right in the chest with his sonar. And I had to, I had to grab the railing. I would have fallen. Wow. wow. So, you know, he was just checking me out see, to see what I looked like he's, inside. He's like, like a CT scan or yeah, something. Yeah, he's, he's like, like you got Very polished. <laughs> the cancer's benign, though. That's <laughs> good news. How does he know? <laughs> he's just a dolphin. <laughs> it, was, it was astonishing. A variety of different things that you've done as a career, and music was the sort of constant through all well, of this. Pretty much, you know. I, I'm not sure if it counts. You know, with the folk masses, I, that's that's a dark time in my life <laughs> that I don't really count. That's in the before time. <laughs> But yeah, probably then, uh, and listening to records and playing Drop the Needle, trying to learn how to play stuff, and with the help of the, the kids next door. And then uh, high school, played a lot of guitar with my brother, mm. the Coyle Brothers. We, we were kind of an act in high school. Oh, cool. And then on into college as well. Went to the same college. <clears throat> so you had a thirst for show business. I did. Yeah, I did. From yeah. the beginning. My mother was a great performer. My grandmother was a great performer, you know. And uh, so I'm sure that's kind of where it came from. Yeah. Mm. But it also was an established trade in your family, so it wasn't like you're doing this weird thing. No, but it wasn't being a doctor, and it wasn't being a priest, so it was a source of disappointment. <laughs> really? Even though your dad was like a radio he entrepreneur? A, it was mostly my mom would have really liked a doctor or a priest. Ah. Maybe a lawyer in a pinch. What did your brother end up doing? He's an actor. Okay. Yeah. Does he ever play a priest on a show or anything? He, uh, no. Oh, uh, man, no. Be... See, shucks. <laughs> I don't think either of us ever. Although I did a, a couple of industrial films as as a young priest. There you you, go. you were a weatherman. That's like a doctor. That's, that's kind of a doctor. A doctor Buzz. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there you man. go. Right there. I never put it together. Golly, she's gonna be so proud. She's gonna be so proud. When she realizes. Mom, are you there? <laughs> she's there. She's she's right here all the time. So you were in the Waybacks, and then which toured around the United States, and yeah. then you went solo. Now you run a like high end boutique guitar store, which put itself together. I uh, I toured with the Waybacks for seven years, and then toured solo for five, and suddenly realized, and it was a very very easy landing. I realized, hey, you know what? I'm done. I'm done touring. How about that? After twelve years of being on the road, and then three years plus before with the circus. I'm, I'm kind of done with this. How about that? The very next day, my niece called me up, who owned a, a music store over in Lafayette. And she said, you know, we're taking over the health club next door. And there's tons of square footage. We don't need all of it. We're going to parcel out about uh, 500 square feet. You ever thought of opening your own shop? You get first dibs. And I had not. And she said, and you know what? There's a, a, a music store in a neighboring town that's shutting down. Maybe you could get their inventory cheap. I don't want to buy inventory. <laughs> Wait a minute. I know from having been involved in the guitar community a bunch for years and years, there was a wonderful 
guitar show up in Heels, or it was called the Healdsburg Guitar Festival. It was rarely in Healdsburg, mm-hmm. but it was always called the Healdsburg Guitar Festival. So I knew a bunch of builders from that. And I called up a couple of them that night and said, you know what? Uh, and this was the next day, of course, that she called me after I decided to stop touring. So I called some folks that night and I said, you know what? All those guitars you don't sell and they go home and just live in, in the kids, you know, the spare bedroom since the kids have gone off to college, you know, would you consider selling those with me? I said, oh, hell yeah. Can I send you two tomorrow? Proof of concept was there. Yeah. So the shop has populated itself with instruments ever since. Uh, I've solicited none of them. Wow. And just all these great guitars come in. Wow. From people that frequently, uh, if, I had to, if I had to name it's called Mighty Fine Guitars. But if I had to name it again, I might call it Karma Guitars. Because a lot of the guys, and it's mostly guys, come in and say, you know what? I've got this beautiful instrument. I don't use it. I feel terrible about it. I play something else or I've stopped playing or something. Somebody should be playing this. Sell it for me. Okay. So they're, they're consignment. Consi- it's a yeah. consignment shop. Oh, yeah. that's, yeah. that's cool. So Works you're not great. on the hook for it? Nah. Yeah. I just give lessons and uh, They let you guitars. play their guitars? Oh, yeah. They're like, so that's, that's great. That's you get to great. play this, a plethora of unique guitars. You yes, probably I have do. no duplicate guitars in there. Not at the moment, no. I've had, I've had duplicates over the years, you know, some of the... Some of the standard models, Martin standard models, yeah. Gibson standard models, but uh, but typically uh, handmade, small builder stuff made by one or two people. Well, and I saw a list of the types of guitars you have, and I've also heard you describe them, and it sort of sounds like they're wine descriptions. They're like, <laughs> this one has an oaky back palate. Yeah, <laughs> like, this is a rare mahogany. It was a good year. It's, <laughs> it's so hard. You're absolutely right. It's so hard to talk about sound. Somebody pointed out to me once, and I think this is right, that there are really only two terms that natively describe sound, and that's louder and quieter. Yeah. Everything else has got to be an analogy, a simile, a metaphor mm-hmm. for something else, and it gets very whiny very quickly. Uh, there was a couple that came into the shop there, and he had been coming in to play a bunch of guitars, and every time he played one, I said, that's the one. You should get that one. Finally, he came in with her one night just before closing. I thought, oh, well, I'll, I'll go in the back room and do some stuff and leave them alone. I'd had dinner with these folks a couple of nights before, and they, uh, they're both a couple, a couple of big foodies. And so we got to talking about you know, food and, and how you have to talk about that in terms of some other thing. Yeah. You know? And when I came back in the room, they had narrowed it down to two guitars. And she said, not that one. That one's too lemony. <laughs> I like the chocolate one. And I thought, yeah, I know what she's talking about. Yeah, the oh. lemony one was too, too sizzly, too hot in the high end, too trebly, too hissy. You know, the other one had deeper, richer sounds, so the chocolate aspect yeah. kind of got through. Yeah. You know, the, the term that drives me insane is warm. Oh, this guitar sounds so warm. Oh. What does that mean? Everybody, for everybody, it means something good. It's always something good. But what does warm mean? And for some people, it means it's really bright and it has a lot of sizzle to it. It has, has a lot of uh, sibilance to it. And for other people, it's, no, it's that mid-range that's, that's uh, yeah. got a lot of punch and dimension to it and less on the low end and the high end. Yeah. I think you should have pairings for the guitars. You know... I was thinking of doing that with, I just, uh, just bought us a, uh, a coffee roaster and maybe having a coffee guitar pairings. That would be amazing. Yeah. We I'd go, go there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we go. Proof of concept. Let's go. We're done, folks. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. Up and over. 
And so you're going to roast it in the music shop? Yeah, do it right there. That's great. Yeah. They're like, this is the best smelling guitar shop I've ever been into. Although, you know what? I should probably do it outside because uh, a lot of people mention, I can't smell it anymore just because I'm so inured to it. But the rosewood, which a lot of guitar backs are made out of rosewood, and there's lots of them in the shop. I've got 65 or 70 guitars in there. People smell it. They come into the shop and say, oh, that smell. I don't smell it anymore after nine years. You know, It's a shame because it's a lovely smell. So I should probably do the coffee roasting outside. Oh, yeah, yeah. there you go. Yeah, so. Well, so my question was, after handling all these amazing guitars in your shop, yeah. do you get desensitized to like how great they are? Maybe a little bit. Not desensitized so much. You know, that's an interesting. I'll make a, a, distinct, a, th- a thing I think is a distinction. I don't get desensitized. My gear lust has diminished. I don't need to buy them. Because I get to play them, yeah, first of all. and because I really did find my Ur guitar, I in, in my travels I fell in love with one at the Healdsburg Guitar Festival. Actually, that was the second time. The first time I fell in love with this particular guitar was at the builder's house. I was dropping off a guitar for a, a friend of mine to get fixed. He said, "Well, let me take a look at it. Here, sit in the kitchen and play this guitar." I just went insane in that couple of minutes, sitting under his rubber tree, which has real rubbers hanging on. Oh, wow. <laughs> in his classy, classy. Alan Perlman, he's, he's a madman. He's quietly insane. He's, he's a madman. Wonderful man. And he came back and he saw my pupils were apparently like saucers. And he said, what? You too, huh? I said, does everybody fall in love with this guitar? I said, yeah. Said, he said, no, it's not really for sale. Uh, it's my demo guitar. I need to hang on to one that's really good so that people can see what I can do. I said, well, if you were going to sell it, how much would... And he told me the figure. And, and I, I said, oh, that cooks my goose. Well, a year plus later, a buddy of mine at the Hillsburg Guitar Festival <clears throat> saw me across the room and waved at me. He said, come here, come here, come here, come here. And I had to make my way. It took me a half an hour to get through this sea of middle-aged men in Aloha shirts. You know? <laughs> and I got across the room and uh, up onto where he was. And I came around the corner, and there I was sitting up on the table, same guitar. I said, oh, shit, not you again. <laughs> I've dreamt about you. And so I sat down and played it. And, the, and Alan was there. The builder was there. He had a big board that he would hold up in front of me so that I could hear because it's, this was indoors in, a, in the, uh, what was it called at the time? The, it's the Wells Fargo Center in uh, Santa Rosa now. Uh, Luther Burbank, the Luther Burbank Center. And it was <clears throat> impossible to hear anything. The great thing and the awful thing about this festival was all the builders were there. Mm-hmm. That was the great thing and that was the awful thing because you couldn't hear anything. Yeah. yeah. So he, he wisely brought a big kind of piece of plywood that he could put right in front of you. You could play against the plywood and hear what the guitar sounded like. And I played it and I played it and he just kind of put away. I said, I'm, I'm not done with the board. He said, oh yeah, we're done. That guitar is yours. <laughs> we'll work it out. It's clearly oh, your that's guitar. that's great. Oh, and that, that guitar has, you know, has satisfied me. And that was, what was that, nine years ago, I guess, that I got that guitar, 10? And it still is the sound I hear in my ears. There, boys and girls, there is a guitar for you out there. There is that, <laughs> that holy grail one. guitar. You just got to play them all until you find the one that chooses you. Is that the one that you play on stage? No, I typically don't. On stage, I typically need to be amplified. Gotcha. And so I either play, uh, the one I play at the Moisture Festival is this little black carbon fiber guitar that I take with me there because 
it fo- it the net comes off, it folds down oh, really small gotcha. into a little carry Easy to bag. travel with. Yeah. And I can tuck my underwear and socks in there. Totally. Yeah. And that's all I take with me. I don't have to check any luggage. So it's either that yeah. guitar I play on stage, or I have another one that's all rigged up with really good mic and pickup system and all that sort of stuff. Hey, folks, this is just a quick interruption because we've been talking a lot about music with Stevie Coyle. We thought you might want to hear some of his music. So here's a song off his great solo album, 10 in 1. How many times have you been to the Moisture Festival? It's three or four times. Three or four times. Every two years since since I forget. So it's either three or four times I've been there. Was going to be there last year, but of course. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah it's a heartbreaker. We'll see. So what's your impression of it? What do you- oh, it's fantastic. I love variety entertainment anyway. And just being among all those great people, you know. And the, the folks that are around the festival are terrific as well. Yeah. All the folks that put you up and get you fed and tell you where to check out on your daily walks and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Just wonderful. Well, how did you end up in the festival? That's a good question, isn't it? <laughs> I think probably, well, it was Tim first. I'm quite sure. And maybe he was talking to Nick Weber from the Royal Liechtenstein Circus. That's a good question. I don't know how I ended up there. <laughs> you just you're showed gonna, up one you're day. Gonna, you're like, uh, I got a guitar. <laughs> Yeah, we're cutting this part, right? <laughs> like I could do Reagan Brothers. That's right. I could announce some whales. That's right. Watch I, this. <laughs> I, I can tell you a story about my buddy getting his hand bit by a chimpanzee. Yeah, that's that's a great story. I could find a stray cat and have it not do anything for me. That was that was even when I think back on that, that was probably the apex of my career. <laughs> it's all been downhill since the cat. Since uh, it was Gunther, Gable, and Williams were the three cats. 
and uh, Gable was the one that was left. And what, what happened? Well, the, the the one wasn't having any fun. The second one had a undescended but third the, testicle. The one that's okay. <laughs> that one that, that okay. remained. <laughs> she, she 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 ended up with a family in uh, in Montecito, California, wow. where, the, where the circus uh, trained every year. I would love for you to bring back the cat act for the moisture festival. It was they don't do animals. Funny. Oh, that's right, huh? And cats are animals after all. Yeah, much as they pretend not to be. <laughs> That's right, doggone it. It was a great act, and I think somebody told me, I haven't, I've haven't. i not verified it, that we were actually in Guinness one year Oh, as either the world's smallest complete circus or, at the time, the only cat act. No, it was there were two cat acts. What, when I was doing mine, there was a guy in Russia somewhere that was doing one as well. Gregory Popovich? Maybe so. Yeah. 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 This was Greggy 35 years ago. Yeah. So maybe that's right, yeah. But now there's, uh, what's the, the name of the woman that's got the fantastic act? The band? Or the cat the, band? The, the cat band. I don't know. Isn't like the, it's not the Aristocat. I've worked with, I did a TV show with that. With, there's, there's at least two. I did, oh, yeah. I did a, t- a TV show with one of them, and the cats wouldn't play a dang instrument. <laughs> no. And she didn't have the wherewithal to make it funny. Yeah, <laughs> no. Yeah. you got to have the fixes. Yeah. You know, that's half the fun. Of course, people like to see the animal outsmart the performer. Yeah. You know? But it's when it's like a four-minute spot, it gets, it gets really oh, painful. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. Ouchie. That's a shame. Poor thing. So Shoot this her. is, uh, you're happy. You're off the road. You're, you got your yeah. shop. You're playing multiple guitars. You're, you know. And I'm doing a, a guitar duo now. Oh, with, cool. Uh, uh, the, the, the Waybacks was the band I played with for years and years. One of the original Waybacks is a guy named Glenn Houston. And uh, he plays... Left-handed and upside down. Oh, he so he plays right-handed. Right, he, he does. He plays a right-handed guitar, but instead of he just turns it over. Doesn't flip the strings. Is that what, Jimi Hendrix uh-huh. did that, or no? Hendrix played straightaway lefty. He, oh, okay. he flipped the strings. Okay. There are guitarists that do that. Dick Dale is one of them. Coco Montoya, Albert King. Okay. They all do that. You know, they where they just take a righty guitar and turn it over and play the daylights out of it. And Glenn does that as well. So he and I are the quitters. <laughs> and uh, we're, we're moderately fabulous if I do say so myself <laughs> really are is the, is the end of the show just very abrupt <laughs> sometimes <laughs> or it's really long you have to give <laughs> you two weeks notice <laughs> <laughs> sit down you and back we're not even at the end of the first day why would someone decide to play the guitar upside down or is it just they did it accidentally and then they got good that way or is yeah, it just kind of that kind of that it was much more comfortable for him to, to do it that way he started off playing right handed and uh, and then just decided, you know what? Let me let me try it the other way. Oh yeah, this is so much better. And strangely enough, the first band he was in, he was he went into audition for this band, and the other guitarist in the band was also named Glenn, and also played left-handed upside down. Wow! His name? I'm not going to get his last name right. Birdnick, who was in Sticks, and played Paul McCartney on Broadway. In oh wow! The, uh, in the uh, the Fab Four show on Broadway wow. for years and years. There can't be two Glens in the same band. That both play left-handed upside <laughs> down. Can't, can't happen. No, I know it's pretty wacky. You can only have one one-handed drummer. That's right. <laughs> Stig Stig Tracy. <laughs> he uh, and he's a fabulous flat picker. I do mostly fingerstyle stuff. So what's the difference? I don't play guitar. So what's the difference? Oh, uh, fingerstyle. You're you've you're got multiple things going on with the right hand at one time. Okay. You've got a bass line going with your thumb typically, and uh, melody stuff going on with other fingers, and sometimes a middle line and all the rest. Flat picking, you have, you're striking the strings one string at a time, or a whole chord at a time. Okay. 
So, um, golly, Leo Kotke is a big name in, in uh, fingerstyle music. And Flappy, uh, Tommy Emmanuel is astonishing. There's kind of Tommy, and then there's everybody else. Ah. He's that. He's I that would imagine uh, finger picking is probably a little more technical. Uh, I don't know. The way Glenn does it, it's tremendously technical. I can't figure it out at all. I can't watch him while I play. It's just too much of a freak out. <laughs> so, see this. The first time I played with him, I was invited to, to sit in with this band in this little. There's a little town near, near here called La Honda, up in the hills. And there's some real hill people live up there. And they did years ago, anyway. And uh, played at this little bucket of blood bar called Apple Jacks. And it's one of these places that really should have the chicken wire. <laughs> that's, that's a real thing in some places. And this place should have had that. And the fiddler that invited me said, oh, just watch, just watch the other guy. Just play on the other part of the neck. Just stay off the same part of the neck. Said, you know how to do this. And I said, yeah, okay, I'll be fine. So I thought, oh, he's a lefty. Okay, that's fine. So, so I, I looked over and I said, what the hell is he doing? All the, I didn't recognize before the show that he actually was playing upside down and backwards. That he was, I knew he was playing left-handed, but I didn't realize the strings weren't flipped over. I had no idea what he was doing. And he was making sounds that I can't get on guitar. Sometimes my head would whip around and say, how the hell did you do that? I, those sounds are not available to me on my guitar. Wow. <laughs> and so he, uh, <clears throat> he just sort of smiled benignly with his little sort of, you know, Lajukanda smile. Hello. Yes, I did that. And so we, we, he was one of the original Waybacks. He and the Fiddler and I were the original Waybacks. And then the band changed and grew and went on tour and all that kind of stuff. And then he was in another band called Houston Jones that when he made his departure, shortly thereafter, <laughs> my girlfriend at the time, my wife now, came up to us at a, at a gig somewhere where we were both attending and said, why are you two playing together? We looked at each other like a couple of dummies and said, that's a really good question. <laughs> so that was, I guess that was about four years ago, and we've been playing ever since. Because we're quitters. <laughs> that's why. At the time, we were just, duh, the duh brothers. <laughs> the derps. The derps. <laughs> well, I, uh, I listened to The Waybacks on Spotify. I also listened to your solo album, 10 and 1. Thank you. And uh, where else can people hear you? iTunes or your... You know, I your... didn't even know I was on Spotify. Yeah, so you're, you're on me. Spotify. Oh, that's yeah. good to know. Uh, beats, beats that a lot of me. I gave you some hearts. Did you give me some yeah, hearts? I gave you some hearts. What does that mean? I'm not sure. I don't I use Spotify. favorited your oh. song. Okay, okay, thank you. So, I don't know if that shows up. Favorite is a verb now. All of a sudden, <laughs> these words are verbs. Yeah, um, hopefully you'll get some you know, kickback on that. Yeah, a fraction of a cent somewhere. Is that how it works? It's, it's pretty slender for a performer. Yeah, yeah. But exposure, as they say. You know, <laughs> Admiral Peary wasn't so crazy about it, but... Uh, <laughs> Apparently serves some people pretty well. And then people can find you on StevieCoyle.com. StevieCoyle.com. Quittersduo.com. Quittersduo.com. Right, right. And, and the shop is the... MightyFineGuitarist.com. Awesome. A bunch of dot commies is, is what we are. <laughs> well, we really appreciate you coming in. This was this fun. Is, this is awesome. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. We, I had a great time. Yeah. Thank you, gents.
We want to thank you for listening to the Moisture Festival podcast. If you haven't bought tickets yet for the festival, you can do that at moisturefestival.org. You can also find out information about volunteering or supporting it financially as well. Just click on the contribute button. You can also find Moisture Festival. They are on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube if you want to check out more details on any of those social network sites. If you want to find out more information on Louie and I, we do a podcast together that is completely different than this podcast and it is called the odd and off beat podcast and you can find that on any platform that you get your podcasts at if you would like to find out information on louis and i's shows you can do so by visiting louis site which is louis fox with two x's.com and matt baker's site comedy stunt spelled the way you would expect it to be spelled yes And we want to thank all the volunteers, performers, sponsors, donors, board members, producers of the Moisture Festival for helping make this thing happen. Absolutely. A lot of moving parts, and they do a wonderful job at creating a very unique experience that you cannot get anywhere else. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. Let's listen to one more tune from Stevie Coyle's band, The Waybacks.
Thank you for listening to Moisture Festival Podcast. And stay moist.